The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answers Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answers Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gary Golden. He is a futurist uh, who kind of looks at the current situation and kind of predicts where things are going, which has all kinds of implications for the kind of job you may have, how you're going to act as a consumer, uh, your investment behavior. Um, so it's really a very interesting hour. So welcome to the Money Answer Show, Gary. Happy to be here, Jordan. Thank you. So, so let's just start with a little bit of your background, your ac- academic background, and kind of uh, how you make a living today as a futurist. Sure. So uh, I am a, a part of a, of a relatively small group of academically trained futurists. So I attended a graduate degree program about a decade ago that is uh, uh, based at the University of Houston. So there is a program in future studies or strategic foresight uh, that's been based in Houston now for over 30 years. And what the program does is train futurists to go out into the world and work with organizations and give them a more structured, disciplined way uh, of thinking of long-term change. So uh, tell me a little bit about the process you have. You're looking at sure. the world today, and how do you extrapolate from that in all the areas we're going to talk about? What is the process you, you do to, to um, make for as much accurate uh, foresight as possible? Sure. So one thing to recognize is there, there is this nature of, of a slow pace to fast change. Uh, and, and one of the things that futurists try to do is really focus on the fundamentals of thinking about um, long-term change, long-term disruption uh, in society and in industries. Uh, we, we tend to look at what are referred to as the three drivers of change or the three mechanisms of change. Uh, the first being trends. Trends are simply things in the world that are going uh, in a specific direction at a certain rate. So, you know, uh, an increase in the number of older people over the age of 65, an increase in CO2 emissions. You know, trends go in a specific direction at a certain rate. They allow you to give forecasts of the most plausible future. And then the second thing we look at uh, is in the category of events. Events often give us a source of discontinuity. Events might be, uh, you know, an election of a, of a, of a new uh, uh, a political leader, a leader of a new, uh, the moment when a new leader comes into an organization. Uh, there is a category of events called wild cards, which are low probability but high impact events. And you know the classic ones are you know September 11th, uh, the uh, tsunami outside of Japan. Uh, so events lead to discontinuities. We think not in terms of forecasts but scenarios. And then the the, the third driver of change that futurists will focus on uh, is referred to just as choices. And choices are about the investments that we make in ourselves, in the people around us, in infrastructure. Uh, and choices reflect the preferred future, the future that we want to see happen in the world. So the first thing that a futurist does is try to break down into various buckets the types of change that we're, we're trying to explore. So why don't you just maybe take a look 10 years ago, since you graduated 10 years ago from the University of Houston's future department, mm-hmm. what were some of the things that you, you were looking at 10 years ago 
that you thought here in 2015 uh, would be happening and mm. so maybe some things you got right and things you didn't get right. Sure. So, uh I think I think the space of energy is is a great one. During during my my graduate degree program, I I really put a lot of emphasis on studying the future of infrastructure, so transportation infrastructure and energy infrastructure. Uh, and at that time, there was uh, initial conversations about uh, significant changes ahead in 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 the world of uh, energy. Um, that would include everything from transportation, you know, fuels to uh, utilities. And I think there are, there are a number of changes that were discussed then that are really starting to transition today. So uh, there's a change in the feedstock, right? That the type of fuels that we use is, has shifted from uh, coal to natural gas. Uh, there are now policies around the world that favor the rise of renewable power. Um, so changes in feedstocks has, has started to approach what we might call a tipping point in the world of energy. Uh, and then another change in that uh, uh, world of utilities is this notion that we are shifting from a world of more centralized power generation, so large, very expensive power plants that are based largely in you know, rural areas um, that deliver electricity over you know, long transmission wires directly to your home or, or business. And we're shifting from centralized to distributed power generation. So this idea of generating electricity closer to the end user uh, is another trend that we think is, is, is really starting to gain momentum. Uh, so those, those are two examples of things that I think a decade ago were a little bit more on the fringe and today are, are starting to kind of move up that, that growth curve. So tell me a little bit about the way you earn a living. Do you do consulting for companies? Do you give speeches? You also have a website, which is garygolden.com with two R's. What kind of things can people find out at that website? Sure. So, so uh, professionally, I make my money uh, in various ways. Uh, a lot of my income is generated through keynote speaking. So working with organizations that are gathering key stakeholders, and, and I come in, and often I'm the person that kicks off the event, uh, gives them an opportunity to stretch the thinking in terms of um, you know, how much change we're likely to see in the future of their particular industry or sector. So I make a living as a, as a keynote speaker. And then I also do work with uh, uh, organizational leaders in, in workshops um, and uh, do occasional consulting projects. Um, I, I, I will often partner with other uh, foresight companies to do research and consulting um, where you really work with clients and, and you really get into the weeds in terms of um, their strategic growth opportunities. People say all the time that change is happening and it's accelerating, but how is it best for people to, cha- to deal with change? People often resist change, and you're the, the agent coming in telling them all these things are changing in this direction. Do you get resistant to that and people say, I like it just the way it is, I don't want to change? Yeah, so nobody likes change, right? Um, it, you know, the, the resistance and the pushback to change is, is, is fairly universal across uh, every sector, um, really what you're trying to do with, with uh, audiences and clients is um, increase their ability to uh, detect signals of change, leading indicators of change that are visible to everybody in the world, and cultivate this, uh, this capability to imagine a range of plausible futures. 
So the, really what you're trying to do as a futurist is, is capture their imagination and get them to think about a world that, that could happen. Um, once you get that imagination activated, um, then the emotional guards that people often put up in terms of resistance to change start to come down. Um, really, you're, 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 as much as you're trying to bring intellectual rigor to thinking about long-term change, if, if you fail to, 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 to motivate people at that emotional level, um, it makes your job very difficult. Indeed. All right, well, let's get into some specific industries. Now, you started with utilities. We talked about that a little bit. I mean, today, yeah. President Obama proposed a whole new major cutback in uh, pollution, uh, in increasing controls and uh, using much less coal and much more, uh, nu- um, well, some nuclear, but basically solar and wind. Um, so beyond what you've said before, what are some of the long-term trends towards power generation that you think are going to be taking effect in the next few years? So I, I, I certainly think there's going to be an increase in, in distributed power generation. So w- w- when you think about you know, renewables like wind and solar, they, they can play in, in two ways. One is you know, like large-scale wind and solar farms, and, and, and these are being built with the, the aid of, of policies and subsidies um, around the world. Um, and, 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 and the integration into the grid is, is likely to continue to increase um, but it doesn't really change, change the game, per se, for utilities. The, the, the area that people really focus on in terms of clean tech is this notion of distributed power. So, you know, smaller, you know, rooftop solar cells that are on uh, commercial properties and residential properties um, that will never be a full substitute for large power plants, but slowly erode uh, the demand that uh, communities place on the central grid. So, so I certainly think there's an increase uh, ahead as long as policies remain in place. Um, one area that, that, that is not necessarily on the radar uh, or widely discussed in distributed power, power generation is the use of natural gas uh, with fuel cells as a distributed power source. So natural gas in the United States is quite abundant uh, with uh, the new era of, of uh, you know, shale gas extraction. And one of the things that businesses are starting to look at is bringing fuel cells, which are essentially small power plants. They convert natural gas or hydrogen into heat and electricity on site. So companies are starting to look at using natural gas directly with fuel cells on site. Now, what that provides the client is essentially 100% uptime and uh, in, 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 in fairly clean uh, power generation. So uh, I think that the distributed power story is uh, one that will continue to grow in terms of opportunities. Is this also something for cars that uh, or cars will be using fuel cells? Yeah, so, so there's a debate in the transportation world. Uh, uh, there are folks uh, that, that, that uh, believe that the future of electrified vehicles, so vehicles that don't use a mechanical motor um, but electric motors, that they will be powered by batteries and you kind of plug in uh, your car. Um, and I think Tesla is probably the most well-known player in this space. Um, but if you look globally, the automotive industry has, has been pretty clear that they wish to see fuel cells as the primary uh, way to bring electricity uh, to vehicles. And I think that the reason for this is that fuel cells have a, in the end, they have a lower cost structure. They will always be lower than batteries. 
and they allow the automaker to have less weight and greater performance when they convert fuel on board rather than have a, you know, a battery storage. Uh, batteries will continue to get better, but batteries always have a weight uh, and cost challenge to overcome. So where does that stand as far as fuel cell cars? There are tests on the road now. Is that going to become common in 10 years, 20 years? What is the outlook for that? Yeah, I, I, I would say the, the, the period that you're, you're really trying to focus on for all electric vehicles, battery and fuel cell, is the next 5 to 20 years. This is a multi-decade long transition. Um, and if you want to understand where it's going and, and how fast, you have to focus on uh, government policies, but it is because it is government policies that are shaping the market. Um, in the U.S., we, we expect the next five years will continue to be um, focused on plug-in vehicles, and I think that that will be the short term. Um, but beyond that, uh, countries like Germany, Japan, Korea, and England are all putting policies forward that favor uh, uh, fuel cell vehicles, and I think that that beyond a five-year time horizon will really drive the automotive supply chain towards fuel cell electric cars. So if you have a fuel cell car and you're driving, do you fill it up with getting some natural gas or how do you fill it up if you're not near your home? Yeah, so that, and, and that's, that's another point of debate. Um, the, the easiest and the most universal way to refuel a, a, a fuel cell vehicle would be pure hydrogen. Um, which could be generated from natural gas, it could be generated from biomass, uh, or it could be generated from uh, water that is split in half into oxygen and hydrogen using solar or wind or nuclear power. Um, how we get our hydrogen for fuel cell vehicles will likely be based off of the most abundant regional source of energy. So in the Pacific Northwest, the hydrogen will likely come from hydroelectric power, um, the most abundant source in the southwest of the United States is, you know, the cleanest is solar. And so we're likely to see hydrogen come from solar. Um, so you'll have hydrogen Earth. stations instead of gas stations. Yeah, have hydrogen yeah, stations. yeah. And, 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 and it's a fueling station. And what that allows you to do is go in quickly, fill up in a few minutes and move on. Um, and it allows us to get more vehicles back on the road much quicker than you could ever do with a plug-in infrastructure. And, um, and very clean as well. Right? And very clean. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Very good. Good. All right, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Gary Golden. You can find out more about him at his website, which is Gary with two R's, golden.com. We'll be back after this. Always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. 
Bob Pritchard has over 30 years of experience as a straight-talking business consultant and author working with some of the top Fortune 500 companies. Now he's come to the Voice America Business Channel to help you and your business. Tune in to the Bob Pritchard Radio Show for information about starting and successfully running a profitable business. From the movers and shakers to great marketing screw-ups, you can't afford to miss a single edition of the Bob Pritchard Radio Show, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Business. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gary Golden. He is a futurist. Uh, His website is Gary, spelled with two R's, golden.com. Welcome back to the show, Gary. Thank you. So staying in the energy area... Uh, we've seen this tremendous uh, release of uh, hydrocarbons through shale. What, what is the, the next uh, trend in, in fracking and shale, and how is that going to change the whole energy mix? So I, I think the next thing that you're going to see in, in the world of, of shale gas development um, is more transparency and, and, and a cleaner process. So the, the, the shale process itself is is demonized by some people and it is uh, upheld by others as, you know, entirely clean and and no problems. Um, And I think the reality is that it's somewhere in the middle. Um, So I think what's going to happen across the country and the world is is a a very uh, uh, conscious effort to clean up the process of of hydraulic fracturing um, to extract and transport um, uh, shale gas uh, and, and, and to ensure that, that these things are done uh, in the best possible way. So I think you're going to see more production. Uh, I don't think that shale is going to uh, uh, go away. I think there will just be more pressure to, to have cleaner processes that use you know, uh, less harmful products in the process and, and, and less energy uh, total. What are the economics for shale? Because we have oil now down to about $45 a barrel. Uh, some shale may be economics that may not be what are the economics where you have oil at such a low price today well it's, it's so it's a challenge uh, it re, well natural gas is, is primarily primarily used for uh power generation so it's used for electricity uh doesn't compete directly with uh oil though the prices certainly have some correlation uh uh, at, at a big enough level, um, where, where I think you want to try to understand the economics of shale is is by region. Uh, there are certain regions in the United States that uh, uh, have uh, shale resources and also have the infrastructure in place to get those resources to market. Um, and 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 that those regions even today with the low cost of of natural gas um, continue to be the most prolific regions. Um, w- 
where you really want to understand natural gas in the long term is, um, uh, you know, what, what, what is that sweet spot of price where it's not so low that producers are not incentivized to, to extract the resource, uh, but it's not so high that natural gas can't continue to be a, you know, much cleaner bridge fuel to, to remove. Right, right now, it's too low, right? I it's mean, too low. It's too low. Yeah. For, from a producer side, from yeah. a consumer side, and from a business side, and a, and a, you know, a national self-interest, cheap natural gas allows us to do a lot economically uh, that, that we couldn't do you know, five, six years ago. You know, yeah. Cheap natural gas is great for business. It's great for manufacturing. It's great for customers um, in terms of, you know, lower, you know, heating bills during the winter, cheaper electricity. Um, so it hurts the, the developers, but they haven't stopped producing uh, in, in a significant way. Um, so I think it's slow and steady on the production side. And how about the export of natural gas? Is that going to be a big uh, contributor to the U.S. economy and a major business going forward? Yeah, so, so it depends on who you ask. Um, I, I think that there will, will certainly be you know, restrictions lifted and, and uh, infrastructure permits granted to allow uh, export of natural gas. Um, but I, I think that the levels will always be low. I think that the, the domestic benefits outweigh the potential export benefits and and the long-term risk of exporting natural gas is you know which market are you going to go to um uh, liquefied natural gas is is kind of at a you know more mature phase um and uh that is competition for shale gas and what happens when the markets that you're exporting to figure out how to uh uh, leverage their own shale gas resources, right? So there's a lot of risk in trying to export natural gas because other people will be able to compete with you at the market. And how about other renewables like wind and solar? Uh, they're getting more economic, but at, at these low oil prices, some people say it's still not economic. As much as progress has been made, there's a lot more that needs to be made. What, what is the future of both solar and wind? So, uh, so uh, again, with solar and wind, you're, you're really not competing with oil because oil is primarily a transportation fuel. Um, uh, so you, your real competition for solar and wind is, is natural gas and coal. Um, coal has, 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 you know, coal companies and their valuation has really, have really collapsed over the past, you know, 18 months. Um, and uh, there, there is pretty, pretty broad consensus that, you know, coal is not going away. Um, but it is uh, facing a more constrained future. Um, so natural, natural gas is really the, the thing that solar and wind are competing against. Um, I think that as long as subsidies and, and policies remain in place, you're going to see more activity in both wind and solar. Uh, solar in particular over the past even two months has seen enormous uh, changes in terms of acquisitions, and a kind of consolidation of the bigger players. So small startups, medium-sized players in the solar space have now been acquired by larger utilities and larger solar companies. So that consolidation of solar resources is happening now. And do you think that's a good place to invest, that solar does have a good future? It's a great place to invest as long as you're confident that the policies uh, around the country and around the world will remain in place. Um, you know, solar and wind are, are, are certainly lower in terms of cost these days. 
Um, they have not shaken their fundamental problem of, of energy storage and, and variability, um, but both resources are reliant on the right uh, industrial policies uh, to succeed. We've had big changes, for example, in Japan and Germany after the Fukushima uh, disaster. Uh, basically, they swore off nuclear, and I think Germany did the same thing. Is, is that going to happen? Are we going to be closing down our nuclear plants around the world because of that? Uh, you know, it's very difficult to say. Um, I, you know, I am I am a son of a of a welder who worked at a nuclear power plant, um, and so I've got some you know personal bias. Uh, I I think nuclear is just kind of a uh, a, a flatlined uh, story for the energy world. I think it will continue to uh, 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 grow at a slow rate. Um, but until there is an alternative way of, of uh, harnessing nuclear energy, um, I think that it just continues to suffer from uh, kind of a public relations uh, challenge. Um, it is certainly a, a, a part of the future of energy, um, but one that I think is, is kind of in the backdrop for most policymakers. And then also in transportation, uh, we see Google and others starting to do self-driving cars. How big a a trend is self-driving cars going to be yeah. in the future? Yeah, so, so automation uh, of, of vehicles and you know, other areas in our world um, is an enormous trend for the future. Um, I think that the, the, the automation of self-driving cars and transportation is probably the, the biggest story in terms of um, you know, daily life that we can imagine over the next five to 20 years. Um, most people will immediately jump to you know, self-driving cars and when is the day going to arrive when I just step out of my home, the car pulls up, I get in, it drops me off and it goes away. Like That's the vision that people want to see happen. Um, but I think the transition is the more important story. And the transition is buying a vehicle in the next, you know, today, over the next five years, that is not entirely self-driving, but smart enough that it can drive itself on a highway and reduce the pain of commuting in major metropolitan cities around the country. Um, and I think that it's this transition, not to fully self-driving vehicles, but um, individuals driving cars that are capable of, of what's called adaptive cruise control, just kind of following another car in front of it automatically during the commuting process. That's the big game changer uh, that the market's trying it, to It can capture. make them commute better because there can be space between the cars that's, yep. that's less because there won't be accidents. Is that the idea? Exactly. And it will reduce, you know, the, the, what's called phantom traffic, ac uh, traffic jams where it's, you know, there was a person pulled over by the police or someone's broken down in the right lane. There's no reason why traffic sh should slow down, but it slows down because people are rubbernecking. They press their brakes. Uh -huh. And, <laughs> you know, all, all of that stuff will be eliminated. Um, and, and so so are, are there investment opportunities in self-driving cars? There are. So where I would look to in terms of investment is in the uh, – I would look for system integrators, companies that are starting to build uh, 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 software and hardware that will be purchased by the global automotive industry um, to create these self-driving cars. I, I think that this is really a software-hardware play um, at the automotive supply chain network level. And could you give me a name or two of one of the system integrators you're talking about? Well, well th 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 those you probably want to go on the web and, and probably get better advice. But, uh, you know, the, the, the companies you're looking for are like Bosch and, and TRW, you know, companies that are already players in the automotive supply chain space 
uh, and that have built up this capability um, over the past few years. And people certainly think of Google in this space as well. Do you think they could be a major player? So I think what Google is going to play is they're going to be selling the maps. Uh, Google is, you know, these self-driving cars are not driving down a road that they do not understand, right? They're not going down the road for the first time. These self-driving cars are going down a road that has been pre-mapped and is known by the car in advance what to expect. Um, so Google is basically providing the mapping, the 3D virtual world version of the physical environment to automotive, automotive companies. They are not necessarily going to be manufacturing you know, the radar systems, the LiDAR systems. They're basically selling map services. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, and, and, and if Google did play in that significantly, I wouldn't be surprised if that was a spin-off company. I, I don't know that Google will uh, uh, integrate that business model into the whole company or if it becomes kind of a, a spin-off service at some point. I see. Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Gary Golden. He is a futurist. And you can find out more about all the trends we're talking about at his website, which is Gary, spelled with two R's, Golden. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Capital Thinking takes you inside the worlds of policy, politics, law, and business. What happens in government, the legal arena, and the business world impacts your business every day. And we're going to take you on a behind-the-scenes tour of it all. Each week, we'll bring you unfiltered conversation with a variety of influential policymakers and leaders. Squire Patton Boggs will be your guide as Capital Thinking tours the halls of power. Join us for Capital Thinking on the Voice America Business Channel each Thursday at noon Eastern and 9 a.m. Pacific Time. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog, Press Pass? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus, topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at VAPressPass.com. That's VAPressPass.com. VA Press Pass by Voice America. All access, all the time. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gary Golden. He is a futurist, uh, predicting what's going to happen in all kinds of different industries. Uh, His website is garygolden.com, spelled with two R's. 
Welcome back to the show, Gary. Happy to be here. So another area that's very changing is the whole financial services and insurance uh, business. Um, so what are some of the key trends there that people should look for uh, going forward? Sure. So uh, uh, as with energy, you know, financial services, insurance are both uh, industries that are uh, subject to, to changes in regulation and legislation. Uh, and those are the things that you want to understand that will you know, slow down change or speed it up. Um, so that the first thing is to wrap your head around the, the regulatory landscape. Um, the, the, the biggest change in the world of, of both of those sectors um, uh, that the, the futurists are talking about seems to be around uh, the increased role of, of data-driven innovation and uh, algorithmically driven automation, right? So data and the role of automation uh, is, is really you know, the area that we think is going to bring about the most change in, in financial services. So um, both of these things come together uh, very interestingly in this, this uh, uh, arena of artificial intelligence. And one of the things that both industries are now exploring is the use of what you would call an intelligent assistant, a personal assistant. Um, this is a software program that you would communicate and work with through natural language conversation. You would ask it questions. It would ask you questions. It is basically an artificially intelligent-like software program that helps you make better decisions in a world that is saturated with data, uh, in a world that you cannot possibly imagine your own brain uh, processing the vast amounts of information that's flowing around you. Uh, so the, the product that everyone is, is now talking about um, is IBM's Watson. So IBM Watson uh, is, is probably the gold standard in this world of uh, intelligent assistance. Um, it was uh, 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 brought to the public uh, eye in 2011 when it beat uh, the two you know, famous Jeopardy champions of all time. Um, but over the past few years, IBM Watson has been working with uh, cancer uh, uh, doctors, so oncologists, in helping them make better decisions on uh, uh, treatment plans. IBM Watson has been working with wealth portfolio managers to help them make the best investment portfolio decisions for their clients. So this idea of the financial services and insurances world being transformed through artificial intelligence-like systems um, is, is certainly one to watch. It seems like there's less need for people and more need for data. I mean, the financial services business has been kind of a personal business. And you have a financial advisor who kind of knows you and gives you advice and gets commissions for it. It sounds like that's going away and it's going to be all replaced by robots and computers and data analysis. So, so I, I don't know that it's going away. I think they, they, they're, they're, if you think about a spectrum of, of what could happen, on, on you know, the one side, it's you know, the techno-utopian vision is, oh, these, these systems are going to be automated and we're going to be sitting on a beach and you know, Jordan is going to have a, you know, a few of his you know, uh, intelligent assistants making him money while he sits and does nothing. And that's, that's not likely to happen, right? Um, and then the other side of the spectrum is these intelligent assistants... Um, take away our jobs, right? And that yeah. we, we, we lose our jobs. And, and I think that there are probably things that will limit that from happening as well. I think that the most likely future for knowledge workers and service workers in the financial services and insurance world is a scenario where we work with these intelligent assistants. That the, that the real 
um, future to move towards is tapping what human beings do best in terms of you know creativity and intuition and seeing what's beyond the data. Uh, humans are much better with relationships than computers could ever be. Um, and, I, and I think that this future is, is not going to be one where we all have robo-advisors and you know, all the big players in the investment space fire their analysts and, and, and uh, you know, brokers. I think it's, it's a future where um, knowledge workers in this industry work with these intelligent assistants um, and together they deliver the best value and experience for the for the customer. As you know, I was just in uh, China, and the Shanghai Stock Exchange has got this big floor, which is pretty much empty because the mm-hmm. entire thing has gone electronic now. There's no mm-hmm. there there anymore. Yeah. And I think the Chicago Mercantile Exchange is now going no more open outcry. It's all electronic. So, and the New York Stock Exchange is like a, a ghost town compared to what it used mm-hmm. to be. So, a lot of jobs in the financial services industry have been. Mm-hmm. Uh, automated out of existence, and I assume you think that's going to continue. Yeah, so it's it, you know what people will talk about is the value chain that 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 those traders that were once on the floor um, are now in a, at a desk, and they're 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 more productive in terms of their trading. Um, there's lower risk. Um, certainly, people lost their jobs, and certainly um, there was a reduction in the number of of traders in in the financial services world. But those jobs simply transformed from the floor to the desk. Um, and I think that, you know, automation and, you know, high frequency trading and, and uh, you know, again, the so-called robo-advisors will absolutely increase in the future. But I think it will just, it will push people in that industry up the value chain um, and they will not necessarily be executing the, cha- the trades themselves but they will be in charge of monitoring systems that are doing the execution. You think of high-frequency trading, which is pretty much automated, right? Maybe somebody's monitoring it, but they're doing trades in the millions that no human being could ever do at the speed at which they're doing it today. Yeah, and I I don't think that industry is... is, You you would need massive regulatory reform to see that change. Uh, And there are people in the industry that, that believe that you know, uh, you know, machine learning algorithms that learn from data will will you know be the driver of uh, portfolio design and trades. But I I I always think there's going to be a need for human teams. Um, yeah. and it might be a reduced size, but the industry itself might grow. So you know that the number of people employed could increase. You know, there are more bank tellers today than in the in the past, and we have. Many more options to get cash through machines. So, speaking of cash, the, another yeah. in the area in the financial mm. services industry is what people think of as Bitcoin, but it's more broadly called cryptocurrencies. I guess what is the the future for uh, kind of non-currency currencies, at least electronic currencies? Yeah, so, so there's a lot of hype right now around these cryptocurrencies and blockchain. Uh, Bitcoin is, is certainly the leader in that space. Um, uh, you know, there, there are a number of things that you need to think about with, with, with this space. One is the, the, the currency scenario itself, um, that, that more and more people around the world will use non-traditional kind of fiat currencies in their day-to-day existence, um, likely around you know micropayments off of your phone things of that nature and and I certainly think that there is in our future uh, a role and an opportunity for 
cryptocurrencies to increase as a new type of currency that we use. Do I think it will displace you know, fiat currencies? No. Um, but I think that they will become a part of the currencies that we use. Uh, the bigger story I- in the world of, of uh, crypto applications is this idea of, of, of the blockchain, which is a distributed database that, that underlies Bitcoin. Um, and the blockchain is, is, within the world of financial services, the focus of the conversation. Um, so the, the ideas that people are now starting to explore is using the blockchain, which is very simple uh, as an entity. It's simply a distributed database. So it's a distributed ledger of transactions. Um, using that distributed database to uh, create more efficiencies uh, and lower risk in the world of financial services and banking. So the, the ideas that people are looking at in that space are how can we use distributed ledgers to reduce the risk f- uh, you know, for, for institutional traders and bankers and anyone in the you know, bond market um, uh, 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 as a new tool, right? Is so, this typically done within the banking system or outside the traditional banking system? So right now it's not done anywhere. Right now it is in the absolute early days of uh, – of, uh, of kind of, you know, hope and hype. Um, the most, the most uh, noteworthy uh, changes that, that I would, you know, recommend for your listeners to look at, uh, 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 Blythe Masters, who's a, a well-known, uh, you know, financial services world uh, uh, thought leader and, and innovator, uh, her firm recently acquired a company called Hyperledger, uh, which is a blockchain, a smart contracts company. And most people expect that, that, uh, innovations, pilots are going to start to roll out over the next 18 months and that we would see, you know, uh, you know, stock exchanges, we would see banks, we would see different parts of the, the securities world have actual blockchain-based products and platforms three to five years out, right? So we think the next three years is all about piloting, testing what works off of the main, you know, so from, world. from the investor's point of view, it would be cheaper and more efficient uh, to have the, the markets being through blockchain as opposed to the existing system. Is that the benefit to it? Yes, because what it allows for is, is cheaper costs in terms of uh, like a clearinghouse, authenticating that you know, certain trades happen. Um, it reduces the cost of, of uh, banking and, and you know, other financial service players. So it's really it's, it's a radical idea, um, one that I think is going to bring about a lot of change, but uh, it's, re- it's really a back-end innovation. Um, so, who are the companies working on that? Like Barclays, there are certain banks that are, you know, go into go into the web and search for large players that are exploring with the blockchain, and and those might be your your potential investment targets. I mean, in general, in the financial services world, since the crisis, whatever you might call it, of two thousand eight, the the trend is towards less risk and uh, not having proprietary trading and causing banks to have more capital and be yeah. more risk averse. Yes. Does that Yes, work and, with the whole what, blockchain yeah, uh, thing what, as well? What the blockchain does is it allows you to protect identity, uh, right? It, allow, it doesn't mean that you're showing your secret sauce. What the blockchain allows us to do is have um, trust built into the system uh, cryptographically. So it, it allows math to mediate that, that certain exchanges did occur. And, and, and it's really – the blockchain is a risk reduction uh, platform for the future of financial services. 
Very good. Okay, we're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Gary Golden. He's a futurist. Uh, he went to University of Houston Future Studies Program. Uh, he's a speaker. Uh, you can find out more about him at his website, which is Gary Golden with two R's, GaryGolden.com. We'll be back after this. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. We hear it and read about it every day in the news. America is heading over a fiscal cliff. Home prices are still receding and unemployment growing. How can you preserve and increase your wealth in this kind of economy? Tune in to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with host Jay Taylor. Jay will explain the decline of our monetary system and the economy and will give you winning investment ideas and the tools to protect and increase your wealth. Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor can be heard Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. What if every day was a good day for business? Because every decision you made was the best choice. What if you could receive regular input from credible sources and could acquire all the precise information you need exactly when you need it so you can make the right decision every single time? Because There's More challenges you to make better decisions. Join Laura Ellis every Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific, and 2 p.m. GMT on the Voice America Business Channel and learn how to think differently for better decisions, better business. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Gary Golden. He's a futurist. His website is GaryGolden.com with two R's. Welcome back to the show, Gary. Hello. So another big area of change is pharmaceuticals. Uh, What are some of the major changes going on? What kind of drugs might be produced using these new techniques that aren't being done now? Sure. So, uh, again, pharmaceuticals, it's a sector that that is heavily dependent on the regulatory environment. Um, so you have to understand that to be able to create a, a solid forecast. Um, the, the, the big the transition that occurred in the world of pharmaceuticals over the past 10, 15 years was the shift from the, the chemical synthesis of drugs to what is called biologics. So they have basically shifted their talent pool from you know, chemical engineers to biological engineers. Um, and those types of biologic drugs are really driving growth for the industry. Um, they are a more challenging platform in terms of um, uh, cost and, and, you know, kind of the, 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 the sales model, but, but biologics is really uh, the future of the industry. And then the other thing for pharmaceuticals to watch out for, and certainly an investment opportunity, are pharmaceutical companies that are starting to integrate data-driven innovations and hardware that actually help to drive outcomes for patients. So pharmaceutical companies are starting to realize that adherence, right, this, 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 this idea of I tell you to take these prescriptions and you don't or you do, that determines the outcome. So adherence is a way for pharmaceutical companies to increase the effectiveness of their drugs. So, so how can they do that? If people don't take their drugs, how, how can so a pharmaceutical company they, make they you take are, your drugs? 
Well, they they can never make you do anything, but they are creating again natural language applications. There are applications where on your phone it it kind of you know 10 a.m. it says, "Hey Jordan, it's time to take your medicine," and you, say, and you would say, "Oh, I don't want to take it now," and it says, "Okay, I'll remind you in 20 minutes." You know, so they're creating you know they're creating applications that drive behavior change. Um, wow. So so pharmaceuticals that are getting. You know, more involved in in data driven innovation and hardware around like wearable devices. I think those are those are ones to to look at as potential growth opportunities. Another area is manufacturing, and uh, the, particularly three D printing is a big thing, or what's called additive manufacturing. It's kind of at its beginning. What is the long term future of additive uh, manufacturing and three D printing? Yeah, so so three D printing is this idea that in, in you know we can basically layer by layer build objects. Uh, made of plastic or, or made of metals. Um, uh, the field itself is is really split into kind of the consumer side. So you know more craft, lower volume production. You know driven by consumers, enthusiasts, and then there are large scale. Um, uh, uh, heavy equipment machines that produce things like jet engine fuel nozzles for General Electric, right? And these. 3D printers, these additive manufacturing machines are run by professionally trained technicians. Um, what additive manufacturing allows most industries to do is reduce costs of their supply chain and bring the production of their you know, repair parts closer to the customer. So I think the future for additive manufacturing is one that might be co-located with, you know, Distribution hubs, so Amazon, UPS, FedEx, fulfillment centers. So looking for additive manufacturing integrated into these logistics hubs could be an interesting uh, investment opportunity for people to watch out for. Where Th- this will be very disruptive to existing manufacturing and distribution and warehouses and so on. Ab- can be done at a local basis, right? Absolutely. And again, you're not, you know, it's not, you know, Gary 3D printing the the, the part in his home. It's being done in a controlled, you know. Uh, so, so there uh, are several aesthetic. 3D printing companies, Hewlett Packard being the biggest one, but 3D systems and Stratasys. Do you think these could yep. be good investments long term? Absolutely, absolutely. So, so you know, then the, the you know, Stratasys, those are those are the companies that are the the, the biggest players. Um, and then you also want to look at software companies that develop, uh, you know, the systems for that. Um, but those players, you know, th- their growth is is likely to continue in the years ahead. And another area is education. Uh, the cost of education and all the infrastructure of having campuses and tenured professors and all that is getting. So it's unaffordable for a lot of people. What are some of the changes coming in education? So, you know, I, I, the, the, the area you want to focus on is, is lifelong learning. I think the most important, the, the most interesting growth opportunities um, are, are with companies that can deliver learning experiences, not just inside of school, but also inside of the workplace. I think, you know, companies that recognize that learning inside the workplace is what drives their growth those companies are going to succeed in the future because people constantly need to upgrade their skills. Um, so a lot of attention is drawn towards, you know, what's the future of colleges and universities? Um, I don't think that they're going away um, uh, anytime soon. I, I think the real opportunity is, is identifying companies that service the corporate environment. How, um, how big will online learning become, and is that a real threat to universities? 
you know, I, I, I don't make a distinction between online or offline. I think that the, the, the distinction you want to make a, a with is, is, is learning, you know, software guided or not? Um, I think offline learning, learning in a physical environment, whether it's a classroom or a factory or, you know, a garden, you're learning, you're learning in the physical world, not in front of a computer. So I, I think that, you know, offline learning, real world learning is not going away. It's just becoming layered with software. Um, I think, you know, the idea that we're going to learn simply, you know, everything in front of our computer screen um, it doesn't take into account the future of technology itself. Um, more information technology experiences in the future are going to be away from screens. There's going to be audio. There's going to be natural language experiences. Um, there's going to be augmented reality learning experiences. Um, so I think online-offline distinctions need to go away. I think that the real bar for the future is, is the learning software guided or not? And the, and the declining amount of time we have left, let's yeah, talk sorry. briefly about the demographics, because uh, that is something you know about for sure, both in the United States yeah. and elsewhere in the world. Yeah. I mean, in general, there's an aging of the population in certain parts of the world, and other parts are getting younger, I guess, like in the Middle East and so on. So what are some of the basic demographic trends that we should be yeah. looking forward so, so the first thing that you want to focus on is the liability of, of uh, aging populations. And you want to understand the implications of large numbers of people living beyond, you know, 65 years of age. And, and the implications uh, for aging populations in terms of cost for national economies is the first place to start. So Europe is aging, you know, Japan is aging, China is aging, and few of these countries have surges of young populations to, you know, fill the need. So I would look at companies that are providing solutions for uh, aging populations as a great investment opportunity. Figure uh, Phrases to watch out for, um, aging in place is one. Telecommunication companies, software companies are starting to deliver solutions where individuals can age gracefully and healthy in their own homes rather than an institutional environment. Mm -hmm. So, biggest biggest thing to focus on is investment opportunities that, that counter the liabilities of aging populations. Do, do you think a lot of these countries you mentioned in Europe, Japan, China, even the U.S. are prepared for the demographic changes that are coming? Um, some more than others. Uh, I, I, I think that, that Japan is probably the most uh, prepared and has, has invested the most. Um, and I, and I think that the others are kind of going to wait until the, the fire gets so hot that they got to jump out of the pot. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I don't think that, that we're being as proactive as we can. So, so how about the United States? What, what will the hot well, pot look like? Well, the United States is in a relatively good position because of, of immigration. We, we mm -hmm. continue to have a young population, um, and, and what's going to happen over the next 20 years is, is what uh, economists refer to as the demographic dividend. This is the payout of the um, uh, uh, peak earning years of the uh, working-aged population of your country. So the millennial generation, those born 1980 to 2000, are going to be going, they're, are, they're grown up, right? They're going into the phase of their life where they're going to make the most money that they'll ever make. And that demographic dividend will start around 2025, 2030. And that peak earning revenue of the millennials, I think, will help the U.S. economy with its challenges of, of an aging baby boomer population. Whereas in Europe, it's a much older population. They don't have that. And the yep. same in China and Japan, to some extent. Yep. They don't have and, 
immigration the way we do. Yep, they don't have that demographic dividend. They don't have that young population uh, that can that can counter the aging uh, side of the pyramid. Yeah, very interesting. Well, thanks so much. My guest this hour has been Gary Golden. Uh, he is a futurist. You can see he talks about all kinds of different areas in the future and the investment implications and the job implications and the societal implications of all these things. Uh, you can find out more about him at his website, which is Gary with two R's, GaryGolden.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Gary. Thank you, Jordan. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week.